you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke, I mean to Matthew, rather, chapter 6. Matthew, chapter 6. And we've spent the last couple of weeks talking about praying the Jesus way. And two weeks ago, we talked about not praying to be seen. Uh, not giving hypocritical prayer. Don't pray just cause, so someone will say, wow, what a great prayer that brother prayed, or wow, what a great prayer that sister prayed. We talked about the fact that if we are praising or praying to get attention drawn to ourselves, that we have the reward that we're looking for, but unfortunately that type of prayer never reaches above the rafters. So we talked about not praying to be seen. We also said we need to learn to pray to be heard, and, and what we mean by that is learn to pray to the Lord intimately. Uh, learn to pray just you and the Lord somewhere in your quiet place, somewhere in your quiet time. And and your quiet place doesn't have to be a closet. It doesn't have to be a basement. It, it might be on your back patio. It might be driving to work. It might be uh, most anywhere where you and God can be by yourselves. And we talked about how that is what draws intimacy with God. If you want to build your relationship with God, if you want to grow closer to God, if you want to be more intimate with God, that intimate prayer time is, is the best way to do that. And, and then finally, we also talked about pray to be meaningful. Don't just pray a bunch of words. God doesn't give us credit for praying long words. God doesn't give us credit for praying eloquent words. What God gives us credit for is praying meaning, meaningful words, praying what is on our heart, praying to God, just saying, dear Lord, here's what's on my mind. And and having a conversation with him. So don't pray to be seen, pray to be heard, and pray to be meaningful. And then last week, we talked about, and we looked at that model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. We broke down that first phrase where it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And we said that this first part of the model prayer talks about and shows us God and who he is. It gives us some characteristics about God. We talk about our relationship with God. God is our Father, and we are His children. And He doesn't mean that in a big general way, but He means that very specifically, that through Jesus Christ and through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can go into the throne room of God and, and talk to God as our Father, or even more specifically, as our Abba, or as our Daddy. And so we can do that. We also need to realize when he says, your name be hallowed or your name be holy, God is concerned about his reputation being holy, and we too as Christians and being Christ-like should be concerned in keeping God's name holy. And we talked about the way that we talk, the way that we live, the way that we dress, the way that we act, reflect on God. Just like we as children reflect on our parents, as God's children, we reflect on God as well. So when we are out and about, we need to remember that God is holy. And the, the scripture I gave you is in 1 Peter, where Peter says, God says, I am holy, so you be holy. And so we are to be like our Father. We, we are to help to uphold God's reputation. We talked about when we said, thy kingdom come, that is the idea of being concerned about the reign of Jesus, the realm of Jesus, specifically here, He's talking about the rule and reign in our hearts. And we want to see that kingdom ex expand throughout 
throughout Fairview, throughout Tennessee, throughout our country, throughout our world, as, as God, as the Holy Spirit, takes over the hearts of men and women, boys and girls, and they, they make a commitment to trust Jesus as their Savior and their Lord, we see God's kingdom increase, and, and we should be praying about that. But we should also be praying at the very end, we said last week, thy will be done. That our prayer, can we truly say when we pray, Lord, let your will be done in my life, not my will. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more today, From a, come at it with a, a little bit different angle. But we talked about God's relationship, his reputation, his reign, and his rule. Now this week we turn from God's affairs and, and we start to look at ours and We've already expressed our concern for God's glory. And now as we look through this prayer, this model prayer of Jesus, we are going to admit our total dependence upon God's grace. Our total dependence upon God's grace. And while our prayer should begin with a look toward God and God's glory, Jesus doesn't tell us that we ought to just ignore our concerns. Jesus doesn't say that God doesn't want to hear what's on our mind or what's in our hearts and, and what we're concerned about. And just as it would be wrong to put our concerns above God and his glory and his will, it would be just as wrong for us to eliminate our concerns. Sometimes people say, well, I know God's busy keeping the universe on its axis and He's not. he doesn't have time to worry about those things that I need. That is just as wrong as it is to not put God's glory first. Amen. God wants to hear what it is that we have on our mind. So we're going to divide this section of the model prayer into two parts. Uh, first, this morning, we're going to talk about God's furnishing, and then next week, we're going to talk about God's forgiveness. And so last week, our verses were verses uh, 9 and 10. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This section is also divided into two verses. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And I was going to try to cover this in a verse, but as I got to digging into this message, it just, just more and more kept uh, coming to mind and coming to heart. And so I decided to divide it into two parts. So today we're just going to look at verse 11, that idea of giving, give us this day our daily bread. And then next week we'll look at forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors because both of those are important and they both deserve enough time to make sure that we understand what it is that, that God is, is, is doing for us and that what we want God to do for us. So this morning as we look at God's furnishing, we're going to ask five questions. And the first question we're going to ask when it comes to God's furnishing is, well, what is it that's furnished? What is furnished? And if we read this first, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. God, he, Jesus tells us that we should pray to the Father to give us our daily bread. And just a couple of thoughts about bread here. God does not say, or Jesus doesn't say we should pray to God, give us this day our daily steak. Or give us this day our daily filet mignon. Or, or give me this day my daily Cadillac. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Bread is the simplest of all food sources. Bread is the most simple thing. Uh, Miss Cozy at home, I believe we could put out a five-course meal with, with steak and 
potatoes and green beans and, and just be a, a food and a meal fit for a queen. If you forget to put bread on here, the first thing she won't say is uh, how nice this meal looks. Thank you for cooking it. She'll say, where's the bread? And so uh, we need to learn to pray for our bread. Bread is the simplest type of food. And we'll talk more about that here in just a little bit. But also by bread here, bread in this verse is symbolic for all of our physical needs. It's not just food. It's all of the physical needs that we need to get us through our day. The God of the universe, and by the way, have you ever thought of it? You know, people will say that, well, my daddy is this and my daddy is that. This uh, one, three little boys were talking and one boy says, uh, well, my daddy's a lawyer. And he said, when my daddy tries a case, he said, sometimes he'll make $250,000 off of one case. And the other boy says, that's nothing. He said, my daddy is a doctor. And says, he operates on people. And when he operates on people, sometimes it's $500,000 he makes off of one operation. The third little old boy didn't want to be outdone. He said, well, that's nothing. He goes, my daddy's a preacher. And he said, when they take up the offering on Sunday, it takes six guys to carry the basket. <laughs> well, you know what? That's the way we boys are. And girls are too. My daddy does this. and my. Have you ever thought about as a Christian that your father and my father is the God of the universe? Your father and my father is the one that created it all. Uh, I love my earthly father. He, he, was, he was a good father. He was a, a pizza maker. He taught me the love for the food business. And, and my grandfather, he taught me how to fish and to enjoy nature and to enjoy it. As much as I love them and all they did, they're nothing to my Heavenly Father. Amen? Amen? And they're nothing to your Heavenly Father. And the fact that the God of the universe is concerned about whether or not you have enough food to eat today. The God of the universe, our Abba, our Daddy, is concerned whether or not you have clothes to wear, whether or not you have shelter over your head, whether or not you have what you need to make it through and to meet your day. And Jesus says we need to play, pay our Father in heaven. <clears throat> Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. And you know what? This petition, give us this day our daily bread, it's not just a request. It's also an admonition of faith. When we say, give us this day our daily bread, we are not only asking God to provide our needs, we're trusting that God will provide them as well. Not only are we asking, we're also trusting. You know, I might go to Victory Nissan up here, and I might go to Jeff Jones, he's my car salesman up there, and I say, Jeff, I'm tired of my truck that I've got, and I'd like something different. I would like to put nothing down, nothing a month for five years. And I would like for you to give me that car. I might ask for that, but you know what? I do not trust that that's what Victory Nissan is going to do. There's a difference in asking and trusting, isn't it? And I will say this. I was totally stunned. My truck, when I went to start it on Friday night, wouldn't start. And the guys at the prison tried to jump it off, and they couldn't jump it. And they said, well, we think it's the starter. And so I called AAA, and they took me to Victory Nissan, and when I bought that truck, they said, we'll give you a 100,000-mile warranty. And I thought that's what they told me, but I even asked Maria, I said, what, 
what kind of warranty did they say that was on this truck? And she said, well, they said a thousand, a hundred thousand miles. I said, I thought that's what they said. So I just knew I was going to have to fight with Victory Nissan, right? Because, you know, I, I was just afraid there would be something in the little small writing on the back that says it's a hundred thousand mile warranty except for starters, you know, or something like that. But, so when I called the guy, I said, if you, yesterday, I said, have you had a chance to look at my truck? And they said, yes, it is. It's a starter. And he said, uh, it'll be in on Tuesday. And just as I was getting all fired up and ready to fight for this 100,000-mile warranty, he said, I want you to know we looked it up. You have an extended warranty. He said, this is, it's all covered. There's no cost. He said, as a matter of fact, we have a rental car ready for you to come pick up. It won't cost you anything. And uh, it, it's good through Tuesday. So uh, while they might not give me a car for free, they did do what they said they were going to do when I bought the truck. So that's good news for them. So I'll give them a plug this morning. But when we ask God, God, give us this day our daily bread, not only are we asking, we're trusting. We're saying, God, I know you'll take care of me today. God, I know you whatever it is that I need, I know you will provide. And we also need to remember that there is a difference in God providing our wants and God providing our needs. Wants and needs are two different things. You know, I want a nice house. And I want a nice car, and I want no debt, and I want good health, and I like a fun, fulfilling job. That would be just terrific if I could get all my wants. <coughs> what I need are clothes on my back, food in my belly, shelter, companionship, and some kind of job. What I want and what I need are two different things. I remember Leandra was struggling when she was just starting work. She says, Dad, I, I don't like my job. I, I, want to find, I want to find a fun, fulfilling job. And, and we do kids wrong when we, we, we try to teach them to find fulfillment in their work. Uh, while I'm not saying you need to go find a job you hate and do it for 60 years, ultimate fulfillment is not found in our work. Uh, one time I found uh, my grandfather's death certificate at my mom's house, and I was looking at it, and it said, it said occupation, it said a doffer, D-O-F-F-E-R. And I have no clue what a doffer is, but he did it for 41 years at DuPont. So when Leandra was saying this, I, she said, I'd like to have a fulfilling job. And I said, well, how would you like to go be a doffer? And she said, what's a doffer? I said, I don't know. But he, I said, your great-grandfather did it for 41 years at DuPont. And he took care of his family. And he raised them in a godly manner, and he provided for them. Well, God provided through that job. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. Our wants and our needs are two different things. God doesn't promise to give us everything we want. But he does promise to give us what we need. Now, catch what I'm about to say in if you, you tuned out, tune back in for a second. While we are about our comfort, God is about making us like Jesus and providing us what we need to sustain us while he transforms us into Jesus. Does that make sense? We're all about what we want to make us comfortable. God is about making us like Jesus. This whole reason we're living on earth as a Christian, as a saved person, it's for two reasons. Number one, so we can share our faith with others and point them to Jesus. But it's also so the Lord can make us more like Jesus. 
so the trans so the Holy Spirit could transform our heart into Jesus's heart, and it's God's concern to provide us what we need to help make that transformation. God, who is our Father, He's our Abba, He's our Daddy, and as such, He wants to and He promises to provide us our daily bread. He provides us what we need. Well, who is it that does the furnishing? He provides bread, but who provides it? Remember who the prayer is addressed to? Our Father, who art in heaven. God is the one that provides what it is we have. Keep your finger here and turn over to Acts chapter 17. We studied this last Sunday night in our Acts class, and just to set the context for Acts chapter 17, Paul is in the city of Athens, Greece. He is waiting for his travel companions, Timothy and Silas, to arrive from the small village of uh, Thessalonica and Berea. Berea, that's where he was. I remember Thessalonica and couldn't remember Berea. Timothy and Silas are in Berea. They're coming to, visit, to join Paul in Athens, but while Paul is waiting, he decides to go walk around Athens. Uh, Athens was a major, was the major country in Greece. If you remember your world history, Greece was primarily a bunch of city-states, but Athens was a very important city. Uh, it was had the temple of the goddess Diana. It's one of the, uh, no, I'm sorry, wrong city. I get confused sometimes when I get talking about my cities. Athens was, was the cultural and religious center of Greece. And as such, there were altars all around the city of Greece to the different gods. The Greeks had all kinds of different gods and goddesses. Zeus, Poseidon, Hermes, uh, all different kinds of gods and goddesses. And there were so many, there was even, Paul said, an altar to the unknown god. And so Paul starts talking about this unknown god with the folks in the marketplace. When, when Paul was at Walmart in Athens, or at Dollar General, you know they're bound to have one. Uh, I read on Facebook this morning, it says, in Tennessee, you can stand in an empty field and say Dollar General three times and one more appeared. That, that sort of, that, that, I'm sure there was one in Athens. But wherever he was in the marketplace in Athens, he started talking about God and Jesus and the resurrection. And, and he got so much attention that the philosophers invited him to come to a place called the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, depending on what version you have. But the Areopagus was an area of Athens where the different philosophers got together and they, they talked about the different types of philosophies and the, and the different new age things that are coming about. And so Paul talks about, and he starts his sermon there in Acts chapter 17, uh, in verse 22 for uh, context's sake, then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious or superstitious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you, God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now look at this God in verse 25. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life and breath. 
and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. You see, these Greeks believed, and they believed that the gods quite often came to earth, uh, especially when we humans messed up. They believed their gods and goddesses came off of Mount Olympus and came down to earth in the form of men and women to punish humans. And so they didn't make they were, they had all these altars to all these gods and goddesses. They wanted to make sure they didn't leave anybody out and offend one of these gods or goddesses accidentally, so they had an altar to the unknown God. So Paul plays on that and he says, I want to talk to you about this unknown God. He says, This unknown God, he gives us everything we have. Our, our breath, our life, our move, our being. When it, Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, as we go back to Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, we need to realize that it's God that gives us everything we have. And we'll talk a little more about that a little bit later on. But virtually everything that we have, our clothes, our house, our car, the ability to work, did you know the fact that you and I woke up this morning is a gift from God? God doesn't owe us breath for a new day. We're not guaranteed getting ourselves through this day, but we have, and it's all every bit by God's grace. It's God who does the furnishing. Well, the third question then is, well, how does God furnish? How does God furnish? Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. God is a giver. God gives, we don't demand. As God's children, we do not have the right to go into the throne room and say, God, give me this. God, give me that. Now, our kids do sometimes, don't they? Dad, give me the car keys. Dad, do this, that. Sometimes we want to do God that way. We don't have that right. God, our Abba, our Father, gives to us. But along with that, God also allows us to be able to work, to provide. God provides it. God provides us the strength and the ability and the talent to do a particular job. So while, we, while God does provide, we have a part in our provision. Nowhere in Scripture will you read this verse. Pray for a hole and then lean on the shovel. That's not what God says, is it? God doesn't say pray for a hold and lean on the shovel. All through scripture, God says you need to work. If a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. Even Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, before the fall, before sin, God still assigned Adam and Eve a job to do. You're to take care of the garden. Now sin brought work to work. Sin is what brought rocks and briars and thorns and pain and childbirth and, and all the different bad things that we think about when we think of work. Sin added work to work, but God has always intended that man be about working to help sustain himself. Now it all comes from God, 
But it's God doing that for us. It's God giving us the ability to be able to work and to be able to have a job. And with that being said, even our hardest working people, our life, our breath, our health, our possessions, our talents, and our opportunities are all gifts from God. Now, God expects us to take advantage of that. He expects us to work, and he expects us to go be a doctor. I'm going to find out what that is one of these days. I'm going to look it up on the, in, in the computer. But I thought about that a lot this week. He did something at DuPont in the Dacron plant, but I don't know what it was, but he did it for 41 years. And if he was unhappy about it, we never knew about it. We just know he got up and Paul went to work. And that's the, that's the legacy that he left us as is, is we go to work. My dad went to the pizza house every day. To work. That's, that's what mom and dad taught us. But yet all of that is a gift from God. Every physical thing we have comes from God's provision. Our father owns it all. They're all gifts from him and we need to learn to depend on him and acknowledge him for all of them. Well then who does God furnish? Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. God promises to furnish the needs of his children. We talked about last week that not everybody can call God Father. We said in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Nowhere in Scripture is God obligated or does he promise to take care of the needs of everybody. Remember in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with the Israelites. He said, if you will, he said, I'll be your God, and if you'll be my people and obey me and follow me and worship me, I'll provide for you, and I'll take care of you. And that's the same thing he promises us as Christians, isn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. God promises to take care of us. And the next phrase I'm going to use, I hijacked it from American Express. And some of y'all might be too young to remember those American Express commercials that, that use this phrase. But being a child of God has its privileges. Amen? Remember when it said American Express, use American Express, American Express has its privileges? Being a child of God has its privileges. God promises to give us this day. Is our daily bread. And then finally, the very last question. How often does God furnish? Give us this day our daily bread. And we're going to park the car right here for just a second because to those of us in America, praying for daily provision seems a little bit odd. After all, most of us have enough food in the pantry and the free and the refrigerator and the freezer to live for days, maybe weeks, and Maybe could get by a month or two if we were forced to. So it seems odd to pray for our daily provision. After all, most of us need to eat less instead of more. Amen? So why in the world would we pray for our daily provision? After that, in the first century, or if you're talking about somebody over in Ethiopia or Cambodia, then, then, then why they ought to pray for daily provision. Don't pass over this phrase so fast. Give us this day our daily bread. This idea of daily bread goes back to the Old Testament. Do you remember when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they started talking about not having any food? 
They said we'd be better off to go back to Egypt. At least we had food to eat. And God provided manna for them. Do you remember how manna worked? Uh, every night, the, the manna plates would fall on the ground like dew. And in the morning, the people would collect the manna from the ground. And they were just to collect enough to get through that day. Just enough provision for that day. Uh, except for the day before the Sabbath. On Friday, they could get a double portion because they weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath. But do you remember what happened if they took extra? Except for that one day when they were allowed to take extra, somebody says, well, I'm going to get enough for three days. That way I won't, I won't have to work for the next two days. They put that, they brought that manna in and it rotted. And it stunk. And they had to throw it out. It wasn't fit for anything. You know what God was trying to teach them? He was trying to teach them that God would, he would take care of them every day. When Jesus says, pray that give us this day our daily bread, we're not to pray for tomorrow's bread. We're not to pray for next week's bread, for next month's bread, for next year. Give us this day our daily bread. And this is applicable to any society and any generation. We all need a daily dependence on God. Amen? Amen. Because for our situation, we may think we've got enough food for tomorrow. What happens if your house burns down? Or what happens if it floods and you lose it all? What happens if you get sick and you can't work anymore? Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Take care of us today. Watch over us today. Provide for us today. In my opinion, and this is that's just my opinion, but I believe it's true. In my opinion, the biggest reason why America and most of the rest of the modern Western world is in the shape that it's in is because we've lost our dependence on God. We've lost our daily dependence on God. As a matter of fact, a lot of Western Christians see prosperity as a reward for faithfulness. Well, if you trust God and you believe God and you... And you obey God, God will prosper you and you'll get rich and you'll have all this kind of stuff. That is not a promise that God gives. If that's true, I've got a question. If God's love for us is based upon our faithfulness and it's based upon what he gives us and how he prospers us, why is it that there's a lot of non-Christians that have a lot more than Christians do? If God's love and care is shown strictly through prosperity, God must hate Chinese Christians because those Christians are in prison and those Christians are poor and those Christians don't have very much. They're impoverished. God must hate the Christians in Yemen. Did you know the whole country of Yemen, there's about 30 Christians in the whole country and they're poor. We almost have this, as much as in our little building here at Old New Hope, this is how many Christians are in the country of Yemen. And they're destitute. And they are poor. Being prosperous has nothing to do with our faithfulness. It's all God's gift. It's all God's blessing. And even as Christians, we've become so blessed that we become oblivious to the fact that the reason we have so much is because God has blessed us 
with his grace. And I wonder a couple of things. I wonder, number one, does God let us have all this stuff just to see what we're going to do with it? Does God let us have all this stuff to test us? Does God give me three polo shirts so that he's going to find out if I'm going to give one of them to somebody that might need it worse than I do? And I've got news for y'all. If that's the case, I failed that test miserably. Our country's failed that test miserably. You all know the best way to take care of the poor? Let those of us who have give to those that don't have. We don't need government programs to take care of the poor. We have enough in our excess to take care of the poor. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus says if you have two coats, give a coat to your friend. If your friend wants you to go a mile with him, go two miles with him. That's the first thing I wonder. The second thing I wonder is how would we react if we think that the reason why we're so blessed and the reason why we're so prosperous is because God loves us. What if he took it all away tomorrow? What if a flood came? What if a house burned? What if famine comes on this country? What's that going to do to our faith? Is he going to shake us? See what I mean about there being a lot here in this little phrase? Give us this day our daily bread. I can keep going, but I'm not. See why I had to divide it into two sermons? Because there's just there, there's, there's enough... And there's, there's just as much in that next phrase, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, we think what we need is physical stuff, but we need more than physical stuff is the spiritual stuff. But we're going to get there next week. So as we wrap this up this morning, I want us to think, in whom do you trust? On our money, even though most folks in our country don't believe it, especially in government, but our money says, in God we trust. We say the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. And whom do you trust? Do you trust in God or do you trust in your stuff? Do you trust in your bank account? Do you trust in your job? Do you trust in your education? Do you trust in your things? Do you trust in your church? Do you trust in your pastor? Can I suggest that if you trust in all those things, they could very easily let you down? Jesus says we need to pray to our Father who art in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray.